the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, it's a Thursday, and that means J.R. Davis is here, the governor's spokesperson. He has joined us for this hour to talk with us about what's going on here in the state. I've got just a couple of major uh, questions uh, for uh, J.R. We can start off that the uh, task force for taxes here in the state has uh, begun putting together what they're going to bring out in their final report, I guess, in September. Is that when that report is supposed to be ready for the governor? September, yeah. They'll uh, have the final report um, to the governor, I think, around September 1, whatever that first uh, weekday is. Labor Day holiday. after. So, um, yeah, a lot of they've been doing a lot of work uh, over the last several months looking at everything. Uh, sometimes it's cost. I'm going to move the uh, Trump rabbit there. <laughs> Trump right. The rabbit is moving out of the um, way. So, uh, but they've looked at everything, and, and some of it's caused a little consternation, but I think that really speaks to the transparency they've used throughout this process. And so we saw this week some of those recommendations. Um, they're not final yet. They have some time to tweak and, and look it over, but – um, we're starting to see sort of the fruits of that labor. So let me just ask how the governor reacted to what he saw initially, because really his idea of what he really wanted was the number two plan right. that this this group put together. They, the one that they voted on seems to me to be a little bit bigger than what the governor was looking for. Yeah, they're, the plan that was number one on their list, obviously, is from the task force itself, um, and I think it was a price tag around $276 million, right. uh, and it would lower the top income tax rate from 6.9 to 6.5. Uh, the governor's plan would be to lower it from 6.9 to 6%. Uh, we're still working on some of uh, finalizing his particular plan, and we'll be able to announce that soon as far as what that would do. Okay. Um, but I think overall the governor's you know pleased with the healthy debate uh, that the task force has had over the last several months. He, he recognizes how hard they worked in this, and uh, everyone knows his top priority is the income tax. He really wants to get that down. And not only does, and I think people have to remember this too, we're talking about roughly $180 million. And yes, it would be for the top marginal income tax rate, but we've already cut $150 million to middle class and to those making below $21,000 here in the state. Mm-hmm. That was our first priority. But at the end of the day, we have got to lower the overall top marginal oh, rate. Yeah. To be competitive, we have to be. We are heads and shoulders above uh, our surrounding states. And so if we want to compete, truly compete with some of these industries that are looking to relocate in the United States or expand in the United States to another state, we've got to be competitive from an income tax rate. So so were you all – well, it wouldn't have been you all. It would have been the the, the group as a, as a force. I mean, the number th- – the the – idea of uh coming up with a earned income tax credit Mm kind of went down in flames i mean i was i i still shake my head about that 
I mean, there was a, because they said, well, you're, you're cutting the top rate. Well, they already cut the bottom rate. They, they loosened right. that up significantly. And I, I may be wrong. I often am. Uh, but I think part of that was the third option, and it yeah. would be basically um, uh, uh, do away with the tax cut to 21000 and below and then insert yes. the tax credit in there to make up for it, I guess, Which to a certain point. Which means that it was going to be bigger then the tax cut would have been. I can't, I can't see that they would have asked for that if it was less. Right, right. And I think, uh, I mean, if you look at our plan, and they're talking about, for those that uh, need to catch up just a little bit, they're talking about the plan that was passed in 2017, the tax cut, $50 yep. million, dollars, which will go into effect January 1. Uh, and that uh, relieves a lot of financial pressures for those in Arkansas making 21000 and below. And actually, the lowest part of that, I think it was about $5,000 and below, were completely rolled off the the tax rolls altogether. Yeah. So, um, you know, there was consensus there. Obviously, that's where the task force came from was that uh, tax bill in 2017. And so I, I think, look, there's a, there's even though we're coming up to the end of August and um, the report being due, I think there's still going to be some tweaks. We're still going to take a hard, close look at it. These are just recommendations. Um, I think we're very proud of the work we're doing in the governor's office as far as uh, the income tax cut proposal that we think will really help, uh, not just from the standpoint of lowering the top marginal rate, but also simplifying the tax code a little bit uh, and, and making it easier for all. So we're working on that. Um, and, and I know the governor has mutual respect for the task force and the work they've done. At the, at the end of the day, we all have the same goal, and that is to cut the income tax rate in Arkansas and relieve the financial pressure on Arkansans. I think we're all headed towards the same goal. It's sort of which path do you take to get there. Um, and uh, I think we'll all come uh, to a consensus before the session starts. But I think it's good news for Arkansas all around. Big surprise for me. I'll tell you what, I was surprised beyond belief because usually when there's moves on taxes and they're looking for places to replace revenue they're losing in somewhere else in the in the tax formula, so to speak, uh, sin taxes tend to be the first ones that get some additional, right? You know, things tagged onto them, and to the uh, forces, uh, the tax force uh, credit, they didn't do that they with didn't. tobacco. They didn't yeah. do it with vaping. They didn't do it. Uh, there was another part that they didn't touch that I was, I was surprised. Grocery tax wasn't even brought up. Nope. That's all good things as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I think you know, there's been a lot of. Um, uh, hot talk, if you will, uh, around in and around what w- was being discussed with the task force, and I think there's been a lot of of uh, misinformation out there and scare tactics that they were going to raise this over here while they lowered this over here, and um, I think it just speaks volumes to the task force listening and and knowing this is what Arkansans truly want, and that's real reform. Um, so I think that's good news. The governor's plan is the same. We're not looking to raise taxes anywhere. We're looking. And I'll to, give the governor credit because I believe without that letter to the task force, right. something would have happened with the grocery tax. I just feel it in my bones. He sent him a, a letter and said, "Hey, look, we don't want to raise that. Yeah, you know, we want to get rid of it. Absolutely. And uh, they 
they took his lead on that. Let's yeah, put it that no, way. and I think again, it just speaks volumes to where our focus is—not just in the executive branch, but in the legislative branch—to say, look. We want true tax reform and relief. That's the name of the task force, and I think that's what they've done with their um, recommendations so far. Again, uh, there can be some changing and tweaking before uh, that September 1 report is due. But with the governor's plan, look, we want to pay for that by by you know growth in the economy, by efficiencies in state government, uh, and and we're going to do it that way. And uh, I think it just takes you know reining in the belt a little bit and make sure that we're spending taxpayer dollars the way we should and giving it back to them when we can. You also have to remember though too that we have. Um, we have some other big issues facing the state in the 2019 session. One is highways. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to have a long-term plan for highways. Uh, we're going to take a closer look at that. Um, there's there's a lot of other issues that are facing the state, uh, prison reform, that sort of thing. So uh, there's, there's a lot uh, that we're going to take a look at. The governor's transformation plan, which is going to be a big lift. Uh, right now it's somewhere around 42 direct reports to the governor. He wants to get that below 20. Um, so that's what we're working on right now. So there's a lot of things to focus on in 2019, but I think it's going to be a, one of those sessions that we look back on and say, man, that was, that was historical. Uh, that was a shot in the arm to the Arkansas economy and to the people of our state. I think it makes us a more attractive state, too, uh, to bring people in from the outside. So, How about the change to the gas and the diesel tax? That, that one was kind of, I think, uh, maybe for some people, a surprise. We're talking about upwards of 3%, I think. Yeah, and I think historically, if you look back at uh, uh, at elections in the past, whether it's initiated acts or referred acts from the legislature, Arkansans have supported uh, uh, paying for highways. Uh, they know it's important. Infrastructure is a big part of our state. Those farm-to-market roads are so important. I mean, the governor just wrapped up a two-day ag tour in South Arkansas, and, you know, believe it or not, tariffs didn't come up a whole lot, but roads did. And it's so important that we give our state's largest industry access to those farm-to-market roads. And uh, and so that's a big part of what we're going to have to discuss. But yeah, I think in, in the past, Arkansans have have been warmed to the idea of of paying for what they use and uh and i think that's where uh, those conversations have sort of centered around the the uh, uh you know two to three i think it was two to three cents on uh, wholesale gas mm-hmm. and then more on diesel and that's supported by the trucking industry because they realize that hey they'd rather pay a little bit more for good roads than the damage that they're having to pay for when roads or when their trucks get damaged on the poor roads right, or the potholes right. or whatever it might be so uh, there's a lot to work out. There's a lot more conversations to be had. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, the executive branch, the legislative branch, we all recognize that we need tax relief and we need good roads. That's how you grow an economy. And that's how you strengthen a state like Arkansas. And, and that's the focus. All right. J.R. Davis will be with us for this hour. we got to get our first break in. We'll do that now. Did you know there are 567 different ways to claim your Social Security benefits? There's 2,728 rules in the Social Security Handbook. And on top of that, the government will not let the Social Security Administration uh, offer you any personalized advice. They're actually forbidden from doing that. So you're really on your own. It's probably why as much as $10 billion in benefits go unclaimed every year. So learn how you could wring every nickel out of your Social Security benefits in the up-to-date 2018 Guide to Social Security. It's from David Lucas. You hear David Lucas uh, 
from the David Lucas Show here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, every Saturday, 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. And to get a free copy of the 2018 Guide to Social Security, be one of the first 10 callers right now at 501-653-6690. Don't leave thousands of dollars of your retirement from the Social Security Administration on the table. Get back every nickel that's rightfully yours. Call 501-653-6690 or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. All right, we continue. We got J.R. Davis, the governor's spokesperson here on the show today. And he does every Thursday when he's in town, when he's not gallivanting around uh, Italy or whatever. <laughs> he's here on the show and uh, answers questions from the governor's office about what's going on. We're hoping to get the governor on the uh, show here in yep. the near future uh, before the campaign heats up again. And uh, he won't have any time because that's going to happen within the next few weeks. I'm telling you right now, just from uh, just from the official side, we've been out and about, and he's been all over the place. And so just first opportunity, I know he wants to make it here. So, Boy, we'll if, he was it down, if he was down south yesterday in the agriculture areas, it was a lot of mud. Well, we actually wrapped it up late Tuesday. So we it was actually a couple of pretty nice hot uh, days down in south Arkansas. We hit uh, Winthrop in Little River, down to DeQueen in, in okay. uh, Sevier, um, hit up uh, Howard County, Nashville area, um, and then day two, Nevada County in Prescott, Camden in Washita County, and then ended the day in McGee at the McGee Producers Gen in Deshaies. So uh, it was a long couple of days, but man, it was productive, and it was good to hear firsthand from the farmers down there. All right, so are the farmers, what are they saying about uh, you know the whole deal about these tariffs. Are are they really concerned, or do do they trust that the, the president is going to get this taken care of post haste? I you know interestingly enough, uh, it was sort of like a t- town hall format with the governor visited with folks and then took questions and just mm-hmm. went back and forth. And you know tariffs didn't come up a whole lot. Uh, I, it doesn't mean that our farmers aren't concerned about it a little bit. I think that it's sort of. Uh, on the horizon, they know it's it could be an issue, right? Now. Right, right. There's not is there's not a huge impact right now, but we're starting to see it in the cotton industry. Of course, we've seen it in the soybean industry, um, but uh, overall, their concerns were more focused on those farm to market roads. Uh, know we have to do something about that. A rural education. While we're doing a lot of things statewide with education, you know, their concern is you know rural schools don't need to be left behind, and, and the governor agrees with that. Uh, broadband uh, connection is is a big issue there too. So uh, there's a lot of things that were discussed. Uh, tariffs weren't the main focus of it, but they understand how important um, access to global markets are, and and uh, the governor's certainly been an advocate on that. But they they all realize that you know if if the governor likes to say. You know, I support the president. Uh, I think he's correcting a lot of those trade imbalances. We've seen it with the recent uh, news on NAFTA negotiations, mm-hmm. uh, the EU. But the governor says he'd certainly like for President Trump to declare victory soon <laughs> so yeah. we can we can get back to what we're doing so well here in Arkansas, and that's recruiting global industry. Yeah, I had a uh, guest on yesterday. It was uh, David uh, – I can't what – was, what was David's last name from Club Growth? can't remember some indiana my gosh i had him on my show as an ibc when he was a congressman he was a congressman for the district there in uh, columbus indiana before 
Pence ran and, and took over. Mm. Uh, but we were talking about the whole thing. You know, Club for Growth is anti-tariff. There's no doubt about that. But they even said, we're waiting to see what exactly the president's doing because from what we've been told by the administration, they want to get this, you know, taken care of fast yeah and get to zero tariffs anywhere exactly and uh the, the governor is certainly anti-tariffs uh, he, he feels the same way let's get rid of tariffs let's have real free trade mm-hmm. uh and let's let you know the different economies of different countries compete with what they've got that's the ultimate goal i'll tell you this just you know from the outside looking into you know that everyone else is doing right now with um you know, our trade ambassador and the president and what's going on. There was a second tranche of, of uh, tariffs uh, towards China this week. So, uh, But what I've seen is um, new updates, uh, new movement on NAFTA with Mexico. Uh, there was an article today saying Canada should be a part of those talks by the end of the week. I think we're getting close to remodernizing uh, or, or modernizing uh, the, the NAFTA agreement and bringing it into uh, a more fair uh, trade practice with the United States. We saw, we talked about this a couple weeks ago about the meeting with the EU. Yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you. How soybean prices done since then? Has it, Have they gone up for the farmers here in Arkansas? I, I think they've held steady. Uh, I think we there was an agreement there with the president. I don't know if there's anything specific yet as to what exactly the EU is going to do, but I think it certainly brought um, some amount of stability uh, to that particular market, uh, knowing that that is going to open up and they're going to purchase more soybeans from the United States. Uh, but I bring up the fact that we've got the, the movement on NAFTA, the EU agreement, I think the president is trying to wrap up some of these other disputes and turn his full attention to China. And those other countries, and those too. And other, those other countries, but yeah, specifically China, and go all in on that and say, look, this is, you know, I think uh, most Americans who've kept up with this would agree that our, our biggest trade imbalance and, and the discrepancies there in that relationship economically have been with China, and we have to go after them and correct that. And I think China's in a position now where, um, I, I I do believe the U.S. is is battling on the high ground here. I think it's an uphill battle for China. Uh, we certainly want to wrap it up as quickly as possible, um, but I think we're seeing a lot of positive movement on all of those fronts. And uh, so I completely understand why there's a lot of that. Let's wait and see because people are seeing some positives here, sure. and and we see it going in the right direction. Um, and I think there's just a lot of holding breath and crossing their fingers and, and hoping that the president can declare victory soon on all this. Well, once he gets past these other areas, then he'll turn his attention, as will these other countries, to the WTO. Right. I mean, the WTO, when it comes to China, is worthless. Yeah. I mean, they they are still looking or being or holding China to a as a developing nation's economy which they are not i mean if you want to say well they're still building well so is every other nation but we're not just coming out of the box you know right uh, and we can't look at china that way any longer that has to change this feels like for the last 20 years we've been saying you know china's poised to take over as the world's largest economy and uh you know from the united states and and when you talk about that for 20 years at some point you've got to just wake up and say okay and you know, we need to reevaluate the situation yeah. but um because they're getting all kinds of breaks yeah absolutely so i i agree with you i think that you know it's it's sort of president trump's 
uh, MO, if you will, to sort of start these fights on a number of different fronts. Um, but they're, they're, look, you know, agree or disagree, for the last two years, there's always been some sort of end goal. And then when the dust settles, you're, you're sort of there, you know. And I think yeah. that that's been sort of his approach to to uh, correcting these trade imbalances. So I'm excited about um, you know what's to come. I think we're moving in the right direction. I think Arkansas farmers are confident in the president, but I think uh, everyone's sort of holding their breath right now, right now, hoping for a quick resolution. All right, we got to get to the news. Jr. will be with us in the next half hour as well. We'll talk about those Chinese tariff battles we got going on and what does that mean for a place like Arkadelphia. We'll talk about that when we return. A story came out, uh, well, last night is when I saw it on Yahoo.com. DeMillo, who is a writer here in Arkansas, right here out of uh, Little Rock, uh, had worked on a story of Arkansas. Arkadelphia, that's where the Chinese company's building. Is it a pulp mill? Is that what they're building? Well, yeah, it started off as a pulp mill, and we can get into that a little bit more, but basically they've uh, switched it for competitive reasons. It's okay. Be, uh, they'll produce liner board for cardboard boxes. That's right. That's so. right. But, I mean, I was reading that, and they were talking about, I forget how many trucks would be going in and out of this factory per day. And, 500 trucks. Yeah, loads. 500. I. I had five zero and I couldn't yeah. I couldn't come up with was it like five hundred and you know uh, anyway yeah five hundred trucks a day yeah. that's a lot of movement going on yeah but it slowed down because of the tariff battle that has started between China and the United States yep and some people are getting nervous uh, did I read right inside that story that it was stated that you guys sent somebody from Arkansas are supposedly sent yeah. somebody from the governor's administration over there to calm people down over in China. Yeah, the governor earlier this year, he uh, sent uh, his economic development uh, executive director, Mike Preston, over to China uh, just to meet with some of those groups, obviously Sun Paper being one of them, just to let them know that, I mean, we've spent the last three and a half years really cultivating relationships all across the world, you know, saying, look, you may not have heard of Arkansas when we first met but you do now and you know we've got a lot to offer and it takes a lot to establish and maintain those relationships so that's what uh, mike was doing just to make sure that hey we're still committed to the project we still want you to be committed to the project um and so yeah it's 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 hit a lull i mean there's been some other reasons obviously the one is they did switch from you know being a pulp mill to you know uh producing those liners for cardboard boxes right. there's more of a market there for them so that that delayed things just a little bit uh, but there's a lot of work already being done uh the are they story, building that spur the rail spur yeah, that's already? already yeah that's already uh, uh underway so uh there there is um, movement on this project, but yeah, there's been a bit of delay, and and you know the governor's quoted in here is basically saying that anytime you have some uncertainty, whether it's an American businessman or a Chinese investor, uh, you're gonna take a few minutes and 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 think it over and, and hesitate a little bit because there is a lot of uncertainty out there right now. So um, we're we're confident where we are right now. Uh, we know that it's it's back on track. Uh, there's about, a, I think the tariffs right now would add about $150 million to the project, but the governor's met with uh, the trade ambassador, Lighthizer, 
uh, and the administration, uh, they've let us know that they're going to look at this uh, uh, closely uh, for an exemption of that $150 million so okay. we can continue sort of almost a grandfather in that we've already started this. It means a lot to the economy of Varkadelphia and to the state, really, and especially the timber industry. Um, you know, if you read if you read the story, it's remarkable for a number of reasons, but once this uh, once this mill is up and running, um, you know, officials expect the the mill itself to employ around two thousand people during construction. It'll create another thousand jobs in the timber industry, and as we talked about earlier, five hundred truckloads of timber in and out of there a day uh, is really just phenomenal. Uh, it, I mean, for those who don't know much about the uh, timber industry, and I'm certainly one of them, but uh, I have me the luxury too, I just of, know I I hunt on their land, right? Yeah, and so I, I have the luxury of I've seen some of the statistics, but uh, the timber industry to Arkansas's economy is larger than any other southern state. Uh, we have an abundance of, of of natural resources which we can replenish. We have too much of it. We need uh, those mills uh, in Arkansas. And and here's a little stat for you: for every uh, forestry job um, uh, in Arkansas, it creates 2.4 jobs. So uh, it it really is a remarkable part of the Arkansas economy. Uh, so we're committed to the Sun Paper. Um, plant uh they're committed to us i think it they're just it may be slow roll just a little bit as we work through some of these tariff issues but um arkadelphia uh they're certainly uh committed to it as well so but i think you guys are feeling good about it yeah i think we're feeling good about it but yeah it's certainly um uh, stalled just a little bit because of what's going on uh internationally um, but I'll tell you, I think Andrew uh, DeMillo, the the author of this piece, did a fantastic job just really outlining the current situation. Um, and so I think there's some people that are – I think the ending of the article was interesting that I'll believe it when I see the steel going up, as yeah. one individual put it. And that's true. I think that's true for a lot of people because you got to put this into perspective, Dave. This is one of the largest economic development projects in Arkansas's history. Uh, so this is a this is a big sort of you know watershed moment for our state uh, that when we finally you know break ground and get that thing up and running, um, the sky's the limit for what we can do as far as manufacturing uh, goes in Arkansas. We, Arkansas, uh, as far as compared to the rest of the fifty states. Uh, we've grown faster over the last three years in manufacturing jobs. I think last year alone we added 2,500. Uh, so we're we're in a good place right now in Arkansas. We just got to keep that momentum going. And, and right now the tariffs uh, uh, sort of slow down the, the, the wheels just a little bit, but we're still in good shape. All right. Look, question I got for you. It's out there. People talk about it. And that is folks say, okay, so you spend all this money wooing Chinese business sure. to Arkansas. Uh, and I think that you have to do that because it's a global economy. And then you have the people saying, but what about Arkansas businesses that are already here? Are you doing yeah. enough for them? So, you know, well, can you address that? Yeah, absolutely. And easily. Uh, first of all, we've signed, I think, more than 340, uh, somewhere around there, uh, incentive agreements with companies since the governor got into office in 2015. The vast majority of those are existing businesses here in the state of Arkansas. Uh, the largest division at the Arkansas Economic Development Commission is existing jobs in Arkansas. They put a lot of work and effort into expanding those businesses, giving them the opportunity to expand, providing the climate for them to expand, and the confidence to expand. So, you know, without the existing businesses here in the state of Arkansas, 
we might as well close up shop because that's where your bread and butter are. But you have to go out there and compete with other states internationally. There's been a lot of focus on China because we've done well in China. But you also have to look at the steel that's coming from Germany. Uh, look at uh, uh, Aerojet Rocketdyne from over in Europe that we have uh, multiple expansions of in the state since the governor uh, came into office. It's the exports of agriculture to Cuba. When the governor went there as the first sitting governor since uh, they restored diplomatic relations there. So the governor's gone everywhere and anywhere uh, that he thinks we can tap into some of those industries and bring them over to the state of Arkansas. We've got a lot to offer, and I think these countries are noticing that, but we're not going to shy away from investors in China. Uh, a lot of the farmers the governor talked to over the last couple of days have said, we don't care where it comes from as long as it comes here, and they're employing American workers. And that's exactly what, for example, Sun Paper will do. And setting up the the way for our uh, farmers to sell their products in those countries because we make way more food than we need in this country yeah. and all those other countries to keep their people fed need us. Yeah, exactly. I think you got to look at the big picture. It's easy to, to read the 280 characters on Twitter or see a random Facebook post, but look into the evidence of the situation and, and look for the facts. I mean, we're doing really, really well in the state of Arkansas from a number of different sectors. Uh, China has just been uh, uh, something that's been in the papers lately because some of those are the biggest projects from Ruyi Technology in Forest City, which would be the largest economic development project in the Delta's history, uh, to uh, Ricever up in Jonesboro to um, uh, Petwan Pet Products up in Fort Smith. I mean, uh, the TN1 garment company that does mostly Adidas, which their stock is on the rise <laughs> quite a bit lately. Uh, but we're doing that right here in Little Rock. So, uh, you know, look, doesn't matter where the jobs come from as long as we're employing our Kansans. And that is the key uh, takeaway from all of this. And these wages are good wages too, Dave. We were one of only two states last year to see not only the lowest unemployment in state history, but to have wage gains of three and a half percent or more. So you got to look at the big picture, um, but certainly uh, local businesses, state businesses here in the state of Arkansas are so important uh, to what we do as far as laying that foundation. Well, with those new jobs and with better pay, all of you that are out there that own mom-and-pop businesses, yeah. that should make you very happy. So people are going to have a little bit more money to spend. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's exciting. To and you should be advertising on my show. <laughs> you got to share it. Share, pass around a little bit. <laughs> I'm looking at Russ, the benefits, Russ the smiling at me. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it really is incredible to, to see all of these uh, Arkansas-based businesses that are flourishing right now, whether it's Simmons Food or J.B. Hunt, who had that huge... Uh, uh, expansion up there in Lowell. Um, we're seeing uh, Walmart building that brand new headquarters in Bentonville. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, so on and so forth. You're seeing a lot of expansions, Pettigene meets that have been around forever, I think 90 years and, and family owned. So it's really, really important for us to keep and cultivate and maintain uh, these local Arkansas businesses because at the end of the day, that's how the Tysons got to be the Tysons and the Waltons and the Walmarts and J.B. Hunt. And so uh, that's what we want to do. That came from Arkansas. Those were homegrown industries that have turned into world uh, leaders in, in their uh, uh, respective fields. So it's it's exciting to see what, what Arkansas is doing and what we can do, um, you know, I think once this uh, tariff issue sort of, uh, I'll say this again, once the, once the president can declare victory and we can move on, and I think Arkansas is in a good position to bring in new industry to the state. All right, we're going to talk about maybe what the future could bring 
You know, uh, Vice President Pence gave a speech today, and I'm going to talk about that just a bit uh, with JR because, you know, we've got a lot of kind of aerospace companies here in Arkansas that might be looking at that space command thing as, uh, you know, a, a, a wide open field to do some business with. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Yeah. All right. Let's get our final segment going here. Today, the vice president gave a speech and announced that the administration, and he, he was there with, uh, with General Mattis, and uh, Mattis was 100% uh, behind uh, the president and uh, stood up and said, we're going to get this done. They're not going, you know, the Air Force, you would have thought, if you wanted to do something in outer space, you would have just expanded the preview of the Air Force and told them to take care of it. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened today. Today, the the uh, vice president announced a new segment of our uh, military. You'll have the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, and then you're going to have the Space Command. Now, a lot of people poo-pooing it and laughing and ya-ha-ha-ha. Let me just remind you that during Ronald Reagan's time, that's exactly what a lot of people did about Star Wars. And all that did was drive Russia into bankruptcy and brought them to their, and brought the Soviet Union to their knees. Uh, I don't know exactly uh, what or how they're looking to make this happen. I do know there's going to be a lot of political battles in the Pentagon because of this. Uh, none of the other branches are going to want to give up any of their budget to a new branch uh, of the military. That's already, uh, if you read some of the articles out there, they're already fighting amongst themselves about this because they're trying to protect their each individual turf. And uh, it's going to be interesting. But with that said, it opens up a whole new industry yep. in America. We, we This is... We might see something on the whole scale of what NASA became during the space race back in the 50s and 60s and early 70s. Uh, whenever uh, there's there's uh, there's that uh, you know you got some written stuff between the the, the countries saying you know we're going to keep space as kind of a neutral area and stuff. That's not been happening over the last eight nine years. China and, and Russia. You know, a lot of people talk about North Korea. I think North Korea is happy just to stay on the earth and <laughs> try to make nukes. But, uh, you know, China definitely yeah. wants to have the high ground. And that's what that is now. That's the, the high ground. High ground yep. If you know anything about battles, you always have try to have the high ground. Yep. A lot harder to fight coming up a hill than it is to be sitting on top of the hill. But for let's just talk about here in arkansas and the governor and he's looking at that and he says oh they're going to start a new branch of the military uh they're going to need places to train their people and stuff like that do we kick into high gear and with our aerospace business and stuff start talking to them how can we help you to go out and you know present yourselves and things of that nature hey if you're uh, standing still uh, you're losing and so i think absolutely if there's an opportunity for arkansas to get in on the ground floor of something to bring jobs into Arkansas, yeah, we'll absolutely uh, uh, attack that with as uh, much manpower as we can. You know, you look at Arkansas, we talk a lot about agriculture. It is our state's largest industry. Tourism's number two. Aero defense is one of our largest exports. 
in Arkansas mm-hmm. uh, with Lockheed Martin and Aerojet Rocketdyne and so on and so forth. I mean, we have a big presence here in the state, so I think that what, you're sort of What's the company already, that builds the uh, cruise missiles that are here? Uh, I couldn't think of their their name. I was as I got on the show. Yeah. I, who is that? Well, yeah, well, but you get the, they work on the telemetry and things of that right. nature. Yeah, so you, you get the the picture though that Arkansas is pretty well positioned. Yes, they to, are. That's why I'm asking yeah, the question. Exactly. Yeah, they're well well positioned to uh, uh, to move forward with something like that if it you know gets up and running that sort of thing. I think we're just we're we're in a good spot in Arkansas. And you know, again, that goes back to sort of the infrastructure aspect of the state as well. We talk about highways. We talk about roads. They're so important. But we also have some you know, natural infrastructure as well, whether it's the Arkansas River or the Mississippi to the east of us. And um, so we're uh, those rail spurs. I mean, all of that is so important to be able to position yourself at a time when uh, other states are competing for this sort of uh, industry. So um, I-49. It's a big part of it, you know, whether it's the top of it there in Missouri, and I think we're, we're waiting on Missouri to, to finish their end of that. And then that 175-mile stretch from Fort Smith to Texarkana, that's important. Um, but you do stuff like that. You get yourself ready and prepared for something like that. Arkansas is going to flourish. Uh, I think what we're seeing right now is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, as I'm driving 67, 167, you know, to and – and from Little Rock every day, Monday through Sunday, in fact. Uh, you know, I see that interstate, that national interstate that they want to make it to Senator Bozeman. I think that was early last year that that was said that, that they were going to make it an interstate there. It's going to be, see how soon it's going to happen now. Yeah. It, I'm just telling you, that's going to blow up ASU. Oh, yeah. They're going to blow up. That's the only thing that's kept them from not... Yeah. being as big as U of A as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, that's where we, we talk so much about, you know, developing the economy. Uh, highways are such a big part of that. Yes, it you got to get, you got to establish an infrastructure that gets people to and from where they need to be quickly and efficiently. Um, and so that's where I think in 2019, you're going to see a lot of focus, not just on the income tax part of it and the relief, uh, but also on highways. It's such an important part. But we have a great delegation from everyone in the House to, to Senior Senator Bozeman and our junior senator uh, and, and Senator Tom Cotton. They've been great partners. Uh, and so I think with we've got a good team uh, with the federal uh, side of things and the state level to get some really cool things done in the state of Arkansas in the next four years. Yeah, well, the space command is supposed to be up and running i this is what blew me away we're going to play the vice president's speech in the next half hour uh if you're listening at five o'clock right now that's not when we're going to play it just so you know it's already been played but the bottom line is is that he said that this new command is going to be up and running 2020 that's two years yeah that's two years and that's a whole branch of the military that's incredible yep really is now surely i mean the air force has been talking about being part of space now for over a decade so i got to assume that there's a lot of uh infrastructure already laid down about that branch and stuff but still yeah i mean they're going to dedicate x amount of thousands of people to that yeah it's it's uh i mean anytime you have to establish uh, a new branch of the military that's pretty impressive or any agency and the governor has some <laughs> some experience with homeland security doing that after 9-11 so it's a it's a tall task um but that's impressive two years yeah so 
Yeah, you can be Starbuck. Just keep that in mind. (laughs) Anyway, I'll let that go. And uh, we thank you, Jr., for joining us. Hopefully, we'll get the governor on here in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk more with him because, like I said, I know by the end of this month, uh, he's out of pocket at that point because now, you know, Labor Day after Labor Day, it's It's a sprint. Running and gunning, yeah, absolutely. Well, good. Well, I appreciate it, Dave, and I will get on that as soon as I leave your office. All right, I bet you will. All right, thanks, We appreciate you. We'll talk to you next week. We've got to take a break when we come back. The female power panel is going to be here. The vice president's, uh, president's speech about the Space Command. You're going to hear it when you come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back to the Dave Ellswick Show. We have uh, the vice president's speech at the Pentagon earlier today about the start of a new branch of our military called the Space Command. Ready to unlock the mysteries of space. And since day one of our administration, this president has kept his promise to restore America's proud legacy of leadership in space, believing that space is essential to our nation's security, prosperity, and our very way of life. Last year, after it had lain dormant for nearly a quarter century, President Trump revived the National Space Council to reinvigorate and coordinate space activities across our government. It's my great honor as Vice President, to serve as the Chairman of the National Space Council. And I'm pleased to report that President Trump has already signed three new space policy directives to reorient our space program toward human exploration, unleash America's burgeoning commercial space companies, and safeguard our vital space assets with new space traffic management policy. But as Commander-in-Chief, President Trump's highest priority is the safety and security of the American people. And while too often previous administrations all but neglected the growing security threats emerging in space, President Trump stated clearly and forcefully that space is, in his words, a war-fighting domain just like land and air and sea. And just as we've done in ages past, the United States of America under his leadership will meet the emerging threats on this new battlefield with American ingenuity and strength to defend our nation, protect our people, and carry the cause of liberty and peace into the next great American frontier. In 1939, at the start of the Second World War, the U.S. Army Air Corps was still a fledgling organization. But as Nazi air forces bombed their way from Warsaw to London, our military commanders took decisive action then to meet that new threat head on. By 1945, the American military had nearly 30 times the number of planes and 85 times the number of pilots and support crews compared to just six years earlier. America and our allies emerged victorious from World War II because of the strength of our armed forces and because our armed forces adapted to meet the emerging threats of the day. We knew that air power had forever changed the nature of war, so we marshaled the resources and the will to build the most powerful air force the world had ever seen. And just two years after that terrible conflict, our nation created a new branch of service to secure American dominance in the skies for generations to come with the creation of the United States Air Force. Now the time has come to write the next great chapter in the history of our armed forces, to prepare for the next battlefield, where America's best and bravest will be called to deter and defeat a new generation of threats 
to our people, to our nation. The time has come to establish the United States Space Force. And that's what brings us here today. Seven weeks ago, President Trump directed the Department of Defense to immediately begin the process necessary to establish a Space Force as the sixth branch of the Armed Forces. The President made it clear that our ultimate objective is to create a new branch of our military that's separate from and equal to five other branches. Today, the Department of Defense will release a report outlining the first stages of our administration's plan to implement the President's guidance and turn his vision into a reality. This report reviews the national security space activities within the Department of Defense and it identifies concrete steps that our administration will take to lay the foundation for a new Department of the Space Force. Now, to be clear, the Space Force will not be built from scratch because the men and women who run and protect our nation's space programs today are already the best in the world. And since the dawn of the space age, America has remained the best in space. Over the past 60 years, the United States has assembled the largest and most sophisticated constellation of military and intelligence satellites in the world. We've pioneered the technology to leverage American power in space here on Earth and give our warfighters the intelligence that they need and give our intelligence community the information they need to maintain a strategic advantage wherever our warfighters are operating. Across this department and our intelligence agency, there are literally tens of thousands of military personnel, civilians, and contractors operating and supporting our space systems. And together, they're the eyes and ears of America's warfighters around the globe. And they do a remarkable job. I've seen their work firsthand. I traveled across the country to meet with the men and women who are fighting for America's future in space in my first year and a half on this job. From the airmen of the 50th Space Wing at Schriever Air Force Base, whose fleet of surveillance, navigation, and communication satellites increased the agility, precision, and effectiveness of our armed forces, to the engineers of the Missile Defense Agency at Redstone Arsenal in Alabama, who are forging the next generation of rockets to strengthen our missile defense, to the many other bases and facilities across the country where our men and women in uniform work together with our intelligence community and our allies to protect our people, our nation, and our interests around the world. And over the past 18 months, President Trump and our entire administration have taken decisive action to strengthen American power in space as well. President Trump recently signed the largest investment in our national defense since the days of Ronald Reagan. And that new defense budget included new resources for two cutting-edge military communication satellites and nearly a billion dollars for our space defense programs. And today, we renew the President's call on the Congress of the United States to invest an additional $8 billion in our space security systems over the next five years. The men and women of this department have also taken historic steps to secure American leadership in space. At the direction of Secretary Mattis, the Department of Defense is fielding a new generation of jam-resistant GPS and communication satellites, and new missile warning satellites that are smaller, tougher, and more maneuverable than ever before. And while these steps have been vital to our national defense. They're really only a beginning. They're only a beginning of meeting the rising security threats our nation faces in space today and in the future. As President Trump has said in his words, it is not enough to merely have an American presence in space. We must have American 
dominance in space. And so we will. And that's precisely why we're beginning the process of establishing the Space Force as the sixth branch of our armed forces. Just as in the past, when we created the Air Force, establishing the Space Force is an idea whose time has come. The space environment has fundamentally changed in the last generation. What was once peaceful and uncontested is now crowded and adversarial. Today, other nations are seeking to disrupt our space-based systems and challenge American supremacy in space as never before. For many years, nations from Russia and China to North Korea and Iran have pursued weapons to jam, blind, and disable our navigation and communication satellites via electronic attacks from the ground. But recently, our adversaries have been working to bring new weapons of war into space itself. In 2007, China launched a missile that tracked and destroyed one of its own satellites, a highly provocative demonstration of China's growing capability to militarize space. Russia has been designing an airborne laser to disrupt our space-based system, and it claims to be developing missiles that can be launched from an aircraft mid-flight to destroy American satellites. Both China and Russia have been conducting highly sophisticated on-orbit activities that could enable them to maneuver their satellites into close proximity of ours, posing unprecedented new dangers to our space systems. Both nations are also investing heavily in what are known as hypersonic missiles, designed to fly up to five miles per second at such low altitudes that they could potentially evade detection by our missile defense radars. In fact, China claimed to have made its first successful test of a hypersonic vehicle just last week. China and Russia are also aggressively working to incorporate anti-satellite attacks into their warfighting doctrines. In 2015, China created a separate military enterprise to oversee and prioritize its warfighting capabilities in space. As their actions make clear, our adversaries have transformed space into a warfighting domain already, and the United States will not shrink from this challenge. Under President Trump's leadership, we will meet it head-on to defend our nation and build a peaceful future here on Earth and in space. America will always seek peace in space as on the Earth, but history proves that peace only comes through strength. And in the realm of outer space, the United States Space Force will be that strength in the years ahead. Now, the report the Department of Defense will release today that Secretary Mattis just referenced represents a critical step toward establishing the Space Force as a sixth branch of our armed forces. It actually identifies four actions that we will take to evolve our space capabilities, and they are built on the lessons of the past. We all remember the hard lesson learned in the early 1980s as the tragic debacle of Desert One took place. Eight American patriots fell in the line of duty while trying to rescue their fellow Americans who were being held hostage in Iran. In the wake of that failed mission, America resolved to ensure that our joint warfighters would always have the training, coordination, and leadership they needed to accomplish their missions. And the steps that our nation took in the years that followed paved the way for the creation of the United States Special Operations Command. Since that time, this vital combatant command has directed our Special Operations Forces to become the most effective and lethal fighting force in the history of the world. Our Special Operations Forces, through this unified command, have been defending our security and advancing interests, as they do to this very hour, in every corner of the globe.
Along those same lines, today's report calls for the creation of a new unified combatant command for space, the United States Space Command. This new command structure for the physical domain of space, led by a four-star flag officer, will establish unified command and control for our Space Force operations, ensure integration across the military, and develop the space warfighting doctrine, tactics, techniques, and procedures of the future. The second step this report calls for is the creation of an elite group of joint warfighters specializing in the domain of space, who will form the backbone of the nation's newest armed service, Space Operations Force. Just like our special operations forces, a space operations force will draw men and women from across the military and will grow into their own unique and cohesive community. They'll support the combatant commands by providing space expertise in times of crisis and conflict. Third, this report calls for the creation of a new joint organization, the Space Development Agency, that will ensure the men and women of the Space Force have the cutting-edge warfighting capabilities that they need and deserve. While our adversaries have been busy weaponizing space, too often we have bureaucratized it. And over time, our ability to adapt to new and emerging threats has been stifled by needless layers of red tape. The Space Development Agency will break free from ineffective and duplicative bureaucratic structures to focus on innovation, experimentation, and forging the technologies of the future. Men and women of the Department of Defense have pioneered some of the most groundbreaking discoveries in our armed forces that literally have revolutionized our national defense in times of need. From General Schriever's creation of the Intercontinental Ballistic Missile to Admiral Rickover's development of the Navy's nuclear enterprise. And now, we must do our part to make bold breakthroughs, strengthen America's industrial base, and deliver the cutting-edge warfighting capabilities faster than our adversaries could ever imagine. And that's exactly what Americans will do. Finally, this report calls for clear lines of responsibility and accountability to manage the process of standing up and scaling up the United States Department of the Space Force. Creating a new branch of the military is not a simple process. It will require collaboration, diligence, and above all, leadership. As challenges arise, deadlines approach. There must be someone in charge who can execute, hold others accountable, and be responsible for the results. So we will create a single civilian position reporting to the Secretary of Defense to oversee the growth and expansion of this new branch of the service. This position will be a new Assistant Secretary of Defense for Space, and this leader will be key to the critical transition to a fully independent Secretary of the Space Force in the years ahead. President Trump and I are grateful, truly grateful to Secretary Mattis for this department's diligence in preparing this report. And our administration will soon take action to implement these recommendations with the objective of establishing the United States Department of the Space Force by the year 2020. Ultimately, Congress must act to establish this new department, which will organize, train, and equip the United States Space Force. Our administration is already working with leaders in the Congress to do just that. We're building bipartisan support for our plan, working closely with committee counterparts, like Congressman Mac Thornberry, Congressman Adam Smith, Congressman Mike Rogers, and Congressman Jim Cooper. Next February, in the President's budget, we will call on the Congress to marshal the resources we need to stand up, the Space Force. And before the end of next year, our administration will work with the Congress to enact the statutory authority for the Space Force in the National Defense Authorization Act. Our nation's armed forces have always been the vanguard 
of advancing American leadership here on Earth and beyond. The Space Force is the next and natural evolution of American military strength. The first American rockets in space were launched by our military. The first American satellites to orbit the Earth were on reconnaissance missions, peering behind the Iron Curtain. The first Americans to step forward to venture into the unknown were the world's greatest aviators and test pilots from the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marine Corps. And the next generation of Americans to confront the emerging threats in the boundless expanse of space will be wearing the uniform of the United States of America as well. And I'll promise you, your Commander-in-Chief is going to continue to work tirelessly toward this goal. And we expect you all to do the same. And to all the men and women of this department, this is the moment. Now is the time to act quickly using all the tools at your disposal to lead our nation forward with President Trump's vision to meet the challenges that lie ahead. There's much work to do. Success will demand the very best of each of you. So be bold. Be created, unencumbered by the past or the status quo. And remember, when it comes to defending our nation and protecting our way of life, the only thing we can't afford is inaction. The American people deserve our very best, and they will have it. As the President will discuss in further detail in the days ahead, the United States Space Force will strengthen our security, it will ensure our prosperity. And it will also carry American ideals into the boundless expanse of space. While other nations increasingly possess the capability to operate in space, not all of them share our commitment to freedom, private property, and the rule of law. So as we continue to carry American leadership in space, so also will we carry America's commitment to freedom into this new frontier. So this is the moment. Now is the time to do as Americans have always done in ages past, to lead with strength and a pioneering spirit into the future. Under the leadership of President Trump, our Commander-in-Chief, we will take the first bold steps to ensure our security on Earth and in outer space with renewed American strength. And as we embark, we, we do so with faith. Faith in all of you who have answered the call to serve in the uniform of the United States of America at such a time as this in the life of our nation. Faith to all the incredible civilian personnel who serve here in the Department of Defense with equal devotion to our nation. And we do so with that other kind of faith as well. Just as generations of Americans have, have carried those who have taken to the skies in the defense of freedom born upon their prayers, I want to assure all of you who will be called to this enterprise that you can be confident you can be confident that you will go with the prayers of millions of Americans who will claim on your behalf, as generations have claimed before, those ancient words that if you rise on the wings of the dawn, if you settle on the far side of the sea, even if you go up to the heavens, even there his hand will guide you. His right hand will hold you fast, and he will hold fast this great nation in the great beyond. So thank you for your service to the country, for all of you have been called to serve in our armed forces. With your unwavering commitment, with the courage of our men and women in uniform, with the continued support of the American people, with the vision and leadership of our Commander-in-Chief,
and with God's help. I know we will give America the defense she needs here on earth and the outer reaches of space. Thank you, and God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. All right, let's get the latest news. That's coming up. we got 60 seconds here from Salem Media on the Dave Ellswick Show. You're looking for a new career? Are you looking to launch a career? Are you looking to make enough money that you can support your family? Uh, then let me tell you about a career that if you're a kind of person that's detail-oriented, you strive to do the right thing, you like to work outside, you're good with your hands, you should talk with the folks at PI Roofing and Home Solutions because they're expanding their operations department to better serve their customers as they grow. You go build your future with them. PI Roofing and Home Solution has uh, career opportunities in their commercial roofing and service division, their residential roofing and service division, and the home solutions division. You can make a difference with PI Roofing. You can climb the ladder to success. Apply at piroofing.com. That's piroofing.com or 501-707-3551. Just call that number and talk to them. 501-707-3551. You know, launch uh, yourself onto a career of success. I'm just telling you, good company. Joel Johnson, uh, Joel Johnson and his wife, Veronica, started this company with Joel Veronica and a pickup truck. That's how it started. Now they've got a lot of people on their payroll and they're ready to expand and add more. Be with a great company, PI Roofing, piroofing.com or 501-707-3551. All right, guys, you just listened to the vice president uh, talking about the new space command. Uh, I've got my own thoughts on it, but that's why I've got a female uh, uh, power panel now. I want to get uh, your side of it and how you feel about it. Uh, So let's start off uh, with you, uh, Shelly. Is it good thing, bad thing, eh, kind of thing, or what? I am, well... Uh, Pull your mic up just a little bit. It's looking down at the table. After listening to him, uh, I think it's it's an excellent thing. I mean, I have to say I'm not an expert on space or (laughs) space programs or anything like that. Um, But, I mean, after listening to him and everything he said, and I mean, I learned a lot. I learned a a whole lot about Russia and China and and what all they've been doing. I, I was completely unaware of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's excellent. Well, you know, China's imperative. Been, you know, China's been putting men into orbit now for what the last decade. Uh, the Soviet Union, uh, we caught up with them in the '60s. I won't say we've left them totally behind, but we're the ones that went to the moon. They didn't, although they were working very hard at trying to go to the moon. Yeah. Moon, and we beat them. Uh, and uh, then we decided that it was such a costly endeavor, and uh, with the uh, you know, using the space shuttle, developing that, and their work on the space station, uh, we've worked very closely with the Soviets as far as that goes. And uh, we've had Chinese astronauts up there now, and Japanese astronauts, and India uh, astronauts, and all kinds of people up there. And I know that there's a treaty that was signed by the world's uh, country's leaders to make it an area that was not going to be militarized, but it was already being oh, militarized. Yeah, apparently. Uh, especially China. So, you know, I just think 
Like, do you, guys, do you guys know the name of Billy Mitchell? Does that name ring a bell with you? I don't think so. That name, that name ring a bell with you, Ross Billy Mitchell? Do you remember what he did? What his big thing claim to fame was? Don't know. He was a member of the Army Air Corps. You remember what he told him? I don't remember what he told him. Yeah, you better build an aircraft carrier. You can, <laughs> you can fly planes off of off of ships. Okay. And uh, he was the first one that really started pushing that. For, to, to have aircraft carriers? Yes. Oh. Ended up getting court-martialed, in fact, <gasps> because Why? of it. Why? Because he kept pushing it. And the people oh, because he the, wouldn't the do people, what they wanted him to do. The people at the up. top were thinking in a World War One type of a mold, not a World War Two oh, type of a mold. And, and they didn't want to hear it. Yeah, and they didn't want to listen to him. And oh, wow. but the bottom line is, they learned. And we're, we're, he was way ahead of his time. And I think that this is exactly what we're we're seeing here. Was it? Is it Russia that we were sending our people up with in their equipment in their, in, in their rockets? Yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, I mean, Trump is making us dominant again in so many areas, and I am just knocked out. I am just knocked out. I just, how can he get all these things done at the same time? How can he even lead on all these different things at the same time? I was kind of kidding about that during the break. You guys were sitting here, and I was saying, I was acting like he was juggling, and then he turns around real fast and catches another ball. He's a phenomenon. Behind the back, under the the back. back. And we're watching him do the prison reform meeting right now on Fox. I mean, he just is into every little thing, and I love it. Yeah, because their secretary, their secretary. Yeah, uh, I mean, every time you turn around, he's tackling some big stuff. I mean, this isn't just like little things, y'all. No, it's huge. I'm reminded of that. Huge. Is that everything he's doing is exactly what he said he was going to do? Promises made, promises kept. It's amazing. And if that doesn't fire you up as a as a conservative voter, I don't know what would. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. I'm just saying, uh, it's something that had to happen. Like I said, there is a space treaty that has been signed by the United States, Russia, China, India, Japan, UK, that said that space would not be militarized mm-hmm. but right. you know what like russia and china it, are gonna yeah, you know abide it by is that militarized mm-hmm. as uh the vice president was talking about hypersonic uh planes and uh, laser weapons laser weapons and all of that is going is being tested now i in mean space. if i recall correctly because this is i mean brand like i said i left the house about ten thirty. you said pence started talking on this this morning i had yeah. nothing of it till i got here to the yep. studio but did we not? Did Barack Obama administration not just pretty much do away with the space program? Oh yeah, his, no, I mean, killed it off. Yeah, it yeah killed it that's off. why I'm so blown away. Like, whoa, where'd this come from? Like, if, it's literally every I time I turn around, something new is coming out of the administration. The president, uh, when Obama was in office, he took NASA and made it into an organization that was teaching about Muslims. <sighs> I remember some of that. I know what you're talking yeah, about. They, yeah, they, they just. Oh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, I just saw an article. That's just, insane. This was just a couple of weeks ago, and I sent it to my son-in-law because my son-in-law is trying to get into active duty uh, army right mm-hmm. now, and uh, he should go see Meps next week and should be putting his right hand up and taking the oath. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I remember this article said that they had decided to stop teaching about how to get along with transgender troops and all of that 
and how the military should treat transgender troops and things that they were moving from that to teaching battlefield tactics again. And I thought to myself, now wow. that's the difference between Obama Thank you. and Trump. One is a Pollyannish guy mm-hmm. who doesn't understand that there are enemies that want to destroy our country. I mean, really want to destroy our nation. And another president who understands that the role of the military is very simple. I was in the military for for nine years. My dad was in the military. Both my brothers were in the military. My daughter, uh, another one of my sons, uh, both my most of my uh, my cousins and nephews were. And the bottom line is this: your job. Bottom line is to carry a gun. And destroy the enemy. Mm-hmm. That's your job. Yeah. Period. It's not to get along with Colonel Klinger. Right. I mean, I'm just or, or Sergeant Klinger. That that's it's not, not your a safe jo- space, no. Dave. It's not a safe. Yeah, space. that's what yeah. I know. The military you, used to be. You said it over the break. I totally believe this. Strength. Um, Peace through strength. Peace through strength. Sorry, I was going to say it backward. Peace through strength, and I think our country has what it takes to dominate. And I mean that exactly that way. And we ought to dominate with, gosh, I hate to use this phrase, with compassion. But at the same time, that means you never let your guard down and you sure Mm -hmm. don't decimate the military and the space and all these other uh, programs that are out there to help keep us dominant. What was it that? When we are dominant. During Obama's, you know, eight years and the Navy... uh, what was their thing? The Navy uh, force for good. I think that was was that what it was? Force for good. Uh, Ross, they, it would show all the aircraft carriers and something. The Navy, a force for good. I think that was the, the the right tag for it. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself every time I would see that and said I would think to myself, no, you're taught how to be a force to destroy for destruction. Right. I mean, yeah, we'll go. Something happens. Yep. Uh, a tsunami over in the middle, you know, out in the middle of one of the tropical islands yeah, or whatever. They're not UN peacekeepers. We'll show up, yeah. you know. We'll show up and help. But doggone it. Our, the, your number one mission as a, uh American serviceman or woman, woman is to destroy the enemy of the United States. That's You don't put your hand up and swear that, you know, I'll, I'm going to keep and protect the constitution of the united states from all enemies foreign and domestic now you know you don't say my job is to um you know move, move you from this island to another island if you happen to have a, a hurricane and that's not our job it's a, that's a kind of a i never can say the word right a, a ancillary job Ancillary. Thank you. Ancillary job. <laughs> a job that comes off of it's your main thing. job. It's something that you do if you have the opportunity to do it. Yeah. But it's not your main so thing to do. So the actual oath, then you're saying that... Is to protect the Constitution I mean, when, Absolutely. Right. From all enemies. But I mean, did, the, the words destroy the enemy in the oath part or whatever. Nah. I'm just curious. Well, it doesn't I mean, say that in the oath. It just says but that's your what, job okay. is to... To protect defend the Constitution, Constitution defend yeah. the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, all enemies foreign, foreign, foreign and, and, and domestic. domestic. And that yeah. means kill. 
Right. That's so, exactly what it means. And so while our government doesn't protect us from the... Yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> and so Obama came along in 08, and since 2009, the Navy said, America's Navy, a global force for good... Thank you. ...was part of an effort to appeal to service-minded young people, and while highly successful in attracting recruits, the Navy phased it out in 2015... Because their feedback was it wasn't popular with active duty sailors or veterans because it didn't capture all that they were doing. Yeah, of course. And it also appeared not to resonate with the American public. Can you imagine? Being a a former military person, the first time I heard that, I said, what the You'll love this. You'll love this. In 2013, Rasmussen said Uh only 20% feel that the Navy's primary mission should be the global force well, for good. Here's the other thing I remember. <laughs> let me let me roll you back Not to cute. Bush and Bush, uh, the, the the younger, as I like to call them. I yeah. call one the elder, the other the younger. My favorite one. All right. He, uh, when the balloon went up in Iraq, I'll never forget, they went out and were talking to a lot of the young men and women who had joined the military and it was during the time that the big push about a force of one oh yeah okay and that was all about you know you can go get your degree and all that kind of stuff didn't talk about hey look if the balloon, you gotta learn to kill if people the balloon goes up you're gonna be shooting a gun at people and people are gonna shoot back at you wow. you gotta be prepared to and, do that uh, there were so many of them i remember hearing them say i didn't sign up to fight <laughs> And I'm like, oh, 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 man. Yeah, they sold you off on the – it was going to be – I'll tell you what, the cultural, the cultural change that Obama brought along uh, was completely aimed at weakening us on every level, on yeah. every level. Same and I don't think did. it was because yeah. he was you, – you kind of said earlier he was Pollyannish. I don't happen to believe that. I happen to believe that he was put in place on purpose to weaken our country. Oh, I, oh, I agree. I, yeah. I really I believe that. De- I won't deny that. I know that. I sound like a conspiracy theorist no, okay, I mean, out there, but you know, when the man came along from nowhere and you still to this day do not know anything about his background for a fact before he ever showed up on the scene. You didn't read his book? Manchurian Candidate? You, that book? You didn't read? No. no. Oh, my <laughs> gosh, right. All right. I got to totally. take a break. All right, we got to take a break. Let me talk about Sunny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. Phone number over there, 982-7451. You need a transmission, they can get it for you. You got a, need a motor, they can get it for you. You need a seat for the front? Well, unless you have uh, the Miata that, that uh, Elizabeth has, they can get that for you as well. Elizabeth's not listening, or she'd be laughing right now. Sorry, we're chattering. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> no, sir. I said you can get any part you need from Sunny's Auto Salvage except a seat for your Miata. Oh, that's true. But he's still looking, and he <laughs> will find 1999? one. $19.99. $19.99. Okay, brown leather is what she's looking tan. for. Tan. Tan. Can't, can't find it Anybody yet. knows about a 1999 tan leather seat for a Miata? But no, if, if he can't find it, it's not out there. Yeah, I, I mean, would, with his I computer with that, yeah. capabilities, he can get it from anywhere in the yeah, country. Yeah, because they don't just do their salvage yard. They're hooked up to thousands of salvage yards all over the United States, Canada, even the world. Uh, and they can find the part that uh, you're looking for. And put it in. And uh, 50, it's going to be like 50% off. And they got the people to put it in for you. You get a great guarantee. Comes with standard yep. warranties. Offer one, two, three year warranties on all their parts. Get parts and labor both. Unlimited mileage. It's just a great a deal. deal. Sunny's Auto Salvage, 982-7451. All right. We're back. Don't forget about all the changes going on at Horton's Orthotics Prosthetics, taking their 
old location on uh, 12th Street here in Little Rock and and doing a complete demo in addition to it, making it a state-of-the-art facility, latest technology and prosthetics, orthotics promise. I tell you something new they've got. They've got a brand-new 3D printer there, and it's not to make guns. It's to make prosthetics. If you think prosthetics are interesting now, wait till you see when they start doing it. I mean, you know, they, they make molds now. They, like, cover your leg with crap and all kinds of stuff and make a mold for you. And it fits for the most part. And it's amazing what they can do, like what Mike and Chris and the workers can do to make that work as well as it does. But think about a 3D printer. What they take is they take a device off the 3D printer. They run it over uh, the stump where the amputation occurred. It makes a perfect copy of that and puts it inside a computer they push a couple of buttons, and it extrudes this material, and it prints the prosthetic that will fit you absolutely perfectly. And, I mean, really, it's crazy. It's just exactly what you said. Yeah. I'll take you over. Turn your microphone on. Um, it's, a, it's a really cool deal. I, I dated a guy in person for several years that had lost his leg below the knee, and if you've never known about that sort of thing, I mean, you never think about it, but that unfinished that unfinished part of the leg rubs against uh, he used to get horrible blisters from Uh the prosthetic rubbing wrong and then he wouldn't be able to walk because he couldn't put on the prosthetic because he had this terrible problem that has all been changed and gone and it's amazing the things they can do and it's incredible the the mobility that these folks can have now and that's because of gary horton they got yeah they got this new they have this new material that's supposed to be ready here within six months that they're going to be able to print off the prosthetic. The articulating knee used to be that when you walk, you locked the mm-hmm. knee and you had just a stiff leg. Stiff mm-hmm. leg, yep. And then when you sat down, you undid the lock. And so you, you wouldn't bend, have this thing sticking yeah, out in front you of you. Big, uh, you could bend the leg. Well, uh, Gary, the, the man who started Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics, worked with NASA and developed the articulating knee. For a prosthetic. So when you walk, it actually moves yeah. just like a leg does. And now you can walk normally, for the most part, uh, with a prosthetic. And that's because of, I, I call him the father of prosthetics, really, because a prosthetic that was locked, to me, is not a prosthetic. Yeah. It's a prosthetic when it can act like a leg, and it could act like, it can act like a leg now, and it's going to get even better. And I can tell you right now, Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics are leading the way because they provide a lifetime of support. All right, we got to get a break in. No, I just got a break. Oh. I had to finish up uh, talking about Horton. So, okay, we got that taken care of. Got four minutes here, guys. And uh, so we all agree, good thing what the Vice President was talking about mm-hmm. as far as the, Very good thing. the space uh, command. Here's what's interesting is that it's the first, I think I heard, the first new branch of the, the military in 75 years. It's got to be. It would seem, it's since, you know, the Army Air Corps became the U.S. Air Force. Well, and I guess now that I really stopped to think about it, I really like the idea that it's gone to a military branch yeah, instead of just that. NASA. Yeah. So well, it wasn't Very just NASA. I really like that. I mean, the Air Force has been oh, yeah. fighting or preparing to fight in space for years Absolutely. now. Absolutely. And I was I thought that that's what they were going to do is they were going to 
increase the Air Force's capabilities in space. But instead, the president has decided a whole new branch. That's very cool. Now, I'm going to warn you, you're going to hear stories about this. It's going to be a lot of infighting in the Pentagon. No doubt. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the only way that you get the money to do that is some some of the other branches have to give give up some of their money. And give up some of their turf, mm-hmm. and uh, those generals don't take that lightly. Yeah. So there'll be. I I would love to be at the uh, chief of staff <laughs> meetings when they start when they get into it. Right. It would be it'd be funny with watch all the of fireworks. All of them probably sitting in a room with cigars and saying, "He ain't taking that. Yeah. That ain't happening. He ain't getting that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, now I'm going to no. be now I'm going to be Pollyanna, yeah. and I'm going to say I would hope that the quote unquote generals you always hear about trump and the generals and Mm -hmm. he brought in all the military people and i would hope and be pollyanna and think that perhaps maybe they will take their roles seriously and understand that they're there as a group to as a whole make our country great again together to an extent go back and just know i'm being pollyanna just read read a little bit about the history of world war ii and see how the different branches of the service oh, fought. fought. Yes. Who gets to go first into the battle? We yeah. want the credit. Nature? No, we want yeah. the credit. Everybody I mean, everybody. That's but, what, you, and you hear me say this once in a while: a purple suit operation. That means that every branch has to be oh. in it. Yeah. If you're not all in it, they're not all part of it. All I'm right. just telling you. All right. We'll take a break. We got more coming your way. We're going to talk about fraud in the elections. That's next on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you. We move into the 4 o'clock hour. We're really lucky. we got a great author with us here uh, in this about the next 20 minutes, and that's Eric Eggers. He wrote uh, or worked with Peter Schweitzer on uh, Clinton Cash. You'll remember when we talked about that here on the air. And I, I think we had, we had Peter on for that. Uh, we did not have Eric. But Eric has put together a new book, and this is called Fraud. How the left plans to steal the next election. And uh, we're, we're going to talk to uh, Eric about this. But, Eric, before we do that, did you work with Schweitzer on uh, Throw the Bums Out? Did I work with him on Throw Them All Out? I did yeah, not. You uh, didn't? Throw, throw Them All Out and the success that it had is actually what allowed Peter to start the Government Accountability Institute. And that's the entity that I was able to join Peter and, and start working with him with. Okay, so now here's my question. They're making this big deal about uh, this Republican that was supposed to had insider trading and all that. I forget what the guy's name is right now. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Chris Collins, thank you very much, Russ. Uh, you, you couldn't hear him, Eric. He was talking in my ear. So mm-hmm. everybody thinks that i got voices in my head, which I do. You but do. <laughs> the bottom line is, is that... Uh, They've gone after him. How can they go after him and not go after every men- member of that committee? Every, I mean, Schweitzer talks about how John Kerry used all of the information he was getting when he was in Congress on that particular committee and all the inside information they get to make himself a multimillionaire. They all have insider trading information, do they not? Well, certainly the ones that do shouldn't be allowed to trade on it. And I think um, and that's the point that I think Peter was trying to make in Throw Them All Out. And, and I think your very common sense 
of what is right and wrong is why the reaction to that book was such as that it was. You know, they did a 60 minutes yeah. piece on that, and that's and, and Peter's book actually led to the passage of the Stock Act, which is, is what I believe ensnared this current member of Congress. So, of course, mm. in typical fashion, the, you know, there was, uh, I think Peter likes to tell the story that the, the Stock Act existed before his book, and it had maybe three co-signers and co-sponsors. And then uh, the, the book came out, the 60 Minutes piece came out, and all of a sudden, you know, it had 250 co-sponsors. And so they, they passed the bill, but then about a year later, after all the attention had died down, the, um, they were able to kind of defang it. And, uh, and so I don't have a lot of confidence that what uh, the current member of Congress was just in trouble for, it doesn't happen a little bit more often than we'd like. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so let's go to your book, which I think is a very, very important book as we go towards the midterm election, especially, you know, everybody on the left yells about the Koch brothers. Hey, let's talk about George Soros and all the money that he's spreading around like cow manure uh, and and trying to grow things out of nothing. Bottom line, uh, I don't know how much I trust the left as far as the electoral uh, process in this country goes. And you say how the left plans to steal the next election. What are you finding out that the rest of us don't know? Well, it's interesting that you say that the left has this concern about the Koch brothers, because when I told people that I was writing, writing a book about voter fraud, they said, oh, so obviously it's about the Russians. Oh, so, there you go. There's, obvi- mm-hmm. there's obviously this belief that mm-hmm. um, elections are insecure, and, and you know, but of course the people on the left think that it's, it's the Russians. And you, know, there, you hear so much talk about voter fraud. So what I did and the team that I have with Peter at the Government Accountability Institute, we decided that we're going to kind of figure out just how much veracity is there to this and how, what are the actual facts. You know, we believe in showing and not telling. And so we embarked on the first of its kind national study. We gathered as many publicly available data roles as we could get uh, for the voter rolls. And then we hired a data expert and we contracted with a commercial database that's used to detect EBT fraud and things like that. And what we found, Dave, was amazing. Uh, we found that in the state of Florida, where I live, 2,100 instances of double voting occurred in the 2016 election. So we're talking about actual votes cast. So what that means is that 2,100 people cast a ballot in the state of Florida and then cast a second ballot in a different state. And those are the only ones that we know about. And as I'm sure you recall, you know, the 2000 election was settled by just 537 votes. And that's what swung on the entire presidential election. So we figured, hey, this is about four times the margin of victory for a presidential election. Clearly, this is a serious issue. And that's what led us to investigate further. And you mentioned George Soros. I think the key thing that I lay out in the book and the key thing that your listeners should know is that Soros and his affiliated organization do two things that I think help create an atmosphere that allows voter fraud to thrive. They fight against any state's effort to increase the security and accountability for their election. Right. But at the same time, they then fund organizations like ACORN and La Raza that then go and exploit those same vulnerabilities by funneling non-citizens and illegal voters through the gaps that they fought to protect. Yeah, the, I don't know how many people saw this, but just a couple of weeks ago, out in California, in San Francisco specifically, they were uh, going out and registering illegal immigrants. Well, and that's, that touches on an interesting point, because, you know, the left, and specifically, actually, a Soros-funded organization called the Brennan Center and affiliated, quote-unquote, experts, 
they define voter fraud. And one of the reasons why you hear so many people claim that voter fraud is a myth or not a serious problem is because the left defines voter fraud in the narrowest possible terms, what lawyers would call an under-inclusive definition. And what that means is, is that they define voter fraud only as an, an intentional effort to impersonate another voter. Uh-huh. But I think you and I think you and I know, and a lot of people would realize that hey, it, voter fraud is anything that discounts the true weight of an honest American vote. And so, you know, what we've discovered is that you mentioned that the illegals being registered to vote in California. Well, that's actually part of a program that California started, and it, it's happening in other states throughout the country. It's actually legal for non-citizens and illegal immigrants to vote in certain local and regional elections. Mm-hmm. It's against the law, right, for non-citizens to vote in federal elections. But what you're seeing in California and San Francisco and in Chicago and actually several different cities in Maryland, and there's an interesting tie with DNC head Tom Perez with Maryland, but you see non-citizens being given the right to vote. In Tom Perez's hometown of Tacoma Park, Maryland, non-citizens have actually been allowed to vote since 1992. Wow. So what does that mean for us in our fight to have fair elections? Well, consider that there's so many vulnerabilities on our voting rolls. The Supreme Court cited statistics that show that nearly 3 million people in this country are actually registered to vote in more than one state. Even President Obama's Presidential Commission on Election Administration in 2013 found that up to 16 million people or up to 16 million voter registrations are significantly flawed or totally inaccurate. And in some states, it's as many as 15 percent or one in seven. So we know that there are problems. And so what's going to happen is you've got these non-citizens who are now being given the right to vote in some elections. And so I think, and you've got, you know, an administration at the local level that's not very accountable. That's how you have things like 248 counties in this country with more registered voters than legal residents. So it becomes a question of, you know, what do we really expect to happen when you've got more non-citizens being given the legal right to vote? And I think the obvious answer is I think we're going to see more illegal votes being cast. All right. Eric Eggers is our uh, special guest. He's the author of a new book called Fraud. How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election. Uh, This is from the investigators who brought you Clinton Cash. That would be Eric and Peter Schweitzer. Uh, They have a group called uh, Government Accountability Institute. Eric is the research director of that organization. (laughs) Just hear what Peter Schweitzer says here on the back of the book. Eric's work is first as an author will make it harder to make excuses for avoiding honestly measuring the real extent of fraud in American elections. And let me just say, if if the ballot box isn't protected, then you have no more America in in the future. That's exactly what happens. I've got members of my uh, my group here. We've got my female power panel here today. Eric, they, they wanted to get a couple of questions in, so I'm going to shut up and let them ask you questions. Shelly, you had a question for him? Uh, well, um, ever, hi, how are you doing? Hey, Shelly. Um, uh, your book seems very interesting. I actually want to read that soon. Um, but, yeah, uh, a, a lot of the, the problem, it sounds like it's these county-level court clerks or whatever that are uh, at the local level that are, you know, as you said, red, they have more people registered than in the actual counties. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, you know, there's, it's a strength and a vulnerability of the decentralized election system that we have. And that just means that decisions are made and it's administrated at the local and then state level. 
Um, but the reality is, is that when somebody registers to vote, because it's so decentralized, there is no federal verification of mm-hmm. citizenship. So there is no top level check to make sure that the people that are registering to vote yeah. are the ones that actually should be voting. That's correct. Yeah. There just needs to be a lot more accountability, apparently, on the local levels. I mean, that's insane. That's insane. Well, and Shelly, and Shelly, how about this, right? You know that when you can register to vote, you don't actually even register with an elections office. Do you know who you register to vote with? I mean, you can register to vote with an elections office, but you can also register to vote when you get your driver's license. You know, thanks oh, to the yeah. 1993 law, it's, and this is oftentimes actually something that, that trips up unsuspecting and even innocent and well-meaning non-citizens. There's numerous examples oh. in the book, which I'm, which I'm so thrilled to hear that you want to buy and read. That, <laughs> uh, but, it, but it talks about people that were non-citizens and they registered to vote when they were getting their driver's license because it's as simple as checking a box. And actually, by law, the DMV officials not allowed to tell them whether they should or should not check that box. And so then what happens is they get the right to vote and they can go out. And because it's confusing or, you know, we have this massive push by organizations and even the governments to get people to vote. So they go up and they they actually vote. But what happens is just the simple fact of registering to vote as a non-citizen actually means you can never become a naturalized citizen. And in, in many cases, it even means you may face deportation. Say that again, uh, please. Say yeah, that again, so please. If a, if a non-citizen registers the vote, then they cannot ever become a naturalized citizen. It's actually a group of Im- leftist immigration attorneys are the ones that, that pointed this out to me. Hmm. So when non-citizens register to vote, then that's a crime. And so th- what happens is the left's fight to keep these vulnerabilities in place have actually imperiled the groups that they seem to want to protect or they claim to want to protect, and that's the immigrants and felons. Because I've got examples of felons as well, somebody that's gone to prison and come out, they've paid their debt to society, they even got a job as, as an employee at an elections office, and they happen to vote as well because they work at an elections office. They just didn't know the rules. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people don't know when you are and are not allowed to vote in this country. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and yeah, and then so they went to vote, and then when they went to the clemency board to try to get their full rights restored, they were denied because they'd been committing a crime. All right, we need, we've got one time for one last question. Elizabeth. You talked about motor voter or automatic registration of voters, and I think I, – I don't recall whether this was a proposal or it's already happening, but I read about various agencies, not just when you register to vote, but when you go get food stamps, when you go to apply for welfare, et cetera. It's all going to be put under automatic voter registration. Therefore, wouldn't you have a problem with duplicate registrations – and a lot of other issues coming out of that as well. Well, not if you have a very well-run local government, which I'm sure we all do, right? right. Sure we all yeah, do. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely. not a problem. Elizabeth, come that, on. That's what I was thinking a moment ago when you were talking about getting in trouble for, for registering to vote, whether or not those systems are actually going to hold up when we go to check on these people. I don't see, well, since it's this. not a unified system, how are we ever going to know? It's a, it's a great point that you raise. And to me, you know, if you want to believe that voter fraud is not a problem, you basically have to believe one of two things. You have to believe that the system is both secure and accurate, right? Ooh. That it's not riddled with flaws and errors. And what do we know? And you also have to, right, and that we, we know that it's not accurate. And then you'd also have to believe that there is not an organized effort to manipulate political outcomes in elections in this country. Right. And we know that there is. Oh, for two you know, For all the talk of... For all the talk about Russians and this idea of Russian meddling or Russian collusion in our elections, 
Well, are we supposed to believe that the Russians care about our election outcomes more than Democrats? <laughs> right. Yeah, we got you. Yeah, Eric, that's thank, good. thanks so much for the time. We, we knew we had you for about 20 minutes. Fraud, how the left plans to steal the next election. You can get it at a local bookstore or Amazon. do it like I do. Go to Amazon mm-hmm. and put it on your Kindle. We're all going to be fighting over this one copy you have. Yeah, Eric Eggers. <laughs> yeah, we also, yeah, I'll just also say that you can also go to the website voterfraudbook.com. Okay, voterfraudbook.com. Dot com nice. and don't forget about the Government Accountability Institute. What's the uh, the address for that, uh, Eric? Yeah, thanks so much. It's just g dash a dash i dot org, or right. you can go to cronyism dot org. Oh, that's nice. I love that. I love that word even better. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a, a break. Let's say goodbye to Eric. Eric, thanks for the time. Thank we you. appreciate Thank it. You. Great book. Thank you very much. Something that you need to read called Fraud, How the Left Plans to Steal the Next Election. Hey, don't forget about uh, Aero Plumbing to get uh, the information of where to contact them, how to contact them. Go to aeroplumbing.net or just Google Aero Plumbing. All that information is right there for you uh, on the Internet. And I don't have to sit here and read, you know, three numbers and a, a bunch of other stuff. And you're driving in your car and you know, you got a little notepad and a pen and you're looking down at your knee instead of at the highway. I don't want you to do that. So aeroplumbing.net or just aeroplumbing on Google, you can find out everything about them. You'll find out about how they got all the technology where they can burrow under the ground instead of through your uh, the concrete of your home or through your uh, flower garden or dig up your parking lot for your business. They can go underneath and do all that work. Don't ask me how it all works. I don't know. I just know they got cameras and all kinds of stuff that allows them to do all of this. And they're like one of the number one plumbing companies that, for instance, can go in and they extrude this material into the pipes and then it hardens and seals off leaks. It's pretty amazing stuff uh, that Earl has done and, you know, he continues to do the investment of keeping Aero Plumbing on the cutting edge of technology. Again, and don't forget about that 100% guarantee they got. Let me give you that one more time. If you are not 100% satisfied with the service they've provided, that being Aero Plumbing, they'll refund all of your money. All right, aeroplumbing.net or just Aero Plumbing on Google. We got news coming up here in just a few moments and we'll take that when we come back uh we're going to have another guest join us uh, the former chairman of the republican party in california uh will be with us and we're going to talk about judge kavanaugh and how things are going towards his uh, nomination process uh mcconnell has said he will be voted on he will be confirmed before the election uh and uh, a lot of different uh high-powered uh, senators have made the exact same uh, statement. So we'll find out where all of it's going. We'll see if he knows anything about a plane that flew out of Little Rock a couple of days ago uh, with a whole bunch of uh, paperwork. And I'm, I'm thinking that might be uh, information on uh, the Kenneth Starr investigation during the um, uh, time that the President uh, Clinton was looking to be impeached. And uh, Kavanaugh was part of the legal team uh, for Kenneth Starr's group, so we'll be we'll be hearing uh, we'll see if any there's any truth to that, and if he got if he's got any information 
about it. And uh, you know how many piece how how many pieces of paper do they actually get? I mean, seriously, I think the most that anybody's ever asked for it's like uh, you know, thirty five thousand, and they're asking for over a million right okay. now. They're doing everything they can just to drag their feet and and drag out the process because look, the Democrats know. Here is the bottom line: they don't have the votes to stop this. They, if the Republicans stand together, and it looks like they are when you hear Rand Paul, who had showed some, you know, maybe I won't vote for it, and he comes out, and I'm firmly behind uh, Kavanaugh. And, uh, you know, Olympia Snow has even said that she's firmly behind him now. Uh, they're running out of time. They're just trying to run the clock right now, and they're not going to be able to get around to doing it. So stick for that. We got that coming up again in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll replay our 2 o'clock uh, hour um, uh, time that we spent with J.R. Davis. The interview I did with J.R. Davis, spokesman for the governor's office, a lot of really interesting things were mentioned in that. In fact, I even worked in the Space Command into that interview as well, which was really kind of cool uh, to say the least. But right now, here's the news, and we'll be right back with you. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And... Uh, Shelly had to scoot out. Her daughter starts school again Monday. Brand new school. Yeah, brand oh, new yeah. school and all of that. And School so meetings tonight. She's all ready to, ready to go. But the bottom line is, you know, just, uh, you know, she's out, out. She'll be back with us uh, next week and uh, talking to us about things that are going uh, on there. Anyway, I'm going, let me get, uh, I got, I got some people that are, are uh, just blowing my phone up today about that fraud book. I mean, couldn't say, did he really say blah, 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 blah? And I'm saying, yeah, he did say blah, 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 blah. You know, read the book. You can uh, find it on your social feed, the link for the Amazon. All right. So you it's can get a copy there. for yourself. It's all there, and you should be, it's Eric Eggers. That is the author. It's called Fraud, talking about how the left's trying to uh, steal the next uh, election. The Sounds like they're well elections. on the way. Yeah, a lot of interesting things going on but what is, uh, about that. What does Mr. Del Bacaro have to say uh, about fraud in California? Well, well, it's not only fraud in California. We're gonna Illegals talk to, voting. We're going to talk to him about Kavanaugh. Uh, Kavanaugh uh, as everybody knows, McConnell says they're going to vote on Kavanaugh before the November elections. And uh, we're glad that he could be back with us. He's been with us several times here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So where are we right now? I mean, what what's going on with the with the Kavanaugh uh, nomination process? He's kind of walking around and meeting people and glad you know glad handing people and stuff. When do you expect the nominating process to really get serious? Well, thanks so much for having me on the show again. Um, The short answer to your question is mid-September. We need to put things in perspective. Over the the decades, there's been judges here and there that have been held up. But the whole process was weaponized under Harry Reid when he greeted the newly elected Bush 43, newly elected, and held up over 20 of his federal appointments and look, that's the prerogative of the Senate is to hold up appointments, that we have a, a system of government that has branches. And the whole idea was one branch would could not hold full power over broad issues. And this is one of them. 
And so Reed held them up. And then in what will go down as one of the dumbest things ever uh, and make uh, um, Schumer one of the worst Senate minority leaders of all time, he said he wouldn't hear Gorsuch. Uh, and so they well, wouldn't, there's no way they would allow Gorsuch. So the Republicans went to the nuclear option and they got uh, Gorsuch in there. And now they only need 50 votes. That's right. And by all and by all counts, all of the Republicans are on board. All fifty-one of them, although Mr. McCain, Senator McCain, won't be going to vote. Which means all the Republicans have to do is show up and and vote fifty to forty-nine. Now, that's not going to happen. There's not going to be a fifty-forty-nine vote because if all the Republicans show up. And there's 50 and there's 50 votes. Then Schumer will have no choice and, and dastardly Dick Durbin will have no choice but to release these uh, senator Democrat senators in tough fights throughout the land to go ahead and vote. So I think Kavanaugh will get as many as 56 votes in appro- for approval. Oh, that's great. It'd be a bipartisan vote then. Ooh. Well, I don't know. It would be a cynical bipartisan vote. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree, but you, a vote is a vote, isn't it? It is. The result is people what ask, counts. <laughs> yeah, people ask why this is becoming so partisan. Of course, I wrote the book, The Divided Era, which explains yep. that the higher the stakes, the greater the political division. And the Supreme Court now is making huge, simply huge economic decisions for the country. Consider Obamacare. Excuse me. If Roberts hadn't have flipped and they had struck down Obamacare, then hundreds of billions of dollars would have flown it, uh, flowed in a different direction yep. than they did. So they're making massive decisions. In fact, the Supreme Court made greater policy decisions the last six years of the Obama administration than Congress. And so, given that the court has, its impact is so big, we now know why there's such a fight over these kind of things. And of course, the left, for years and years, have been using the courts to get victories they couldn't get in Congress or in mm-hmm. the state houses, mm-hmm. right? Yes, sir. They, they could they couldn't get it through the voting process. So what they did was stack courts with judges and uh, California values or San Francisco values were imposed on the nation with the likes take uh, the Democrats gubernatorial candidate Gavin Newsom. So there's going to be gay marriage, whether you like it or not. And of course we had voted several times to say that there couldn't be gay marriage. So, and they lost at the ballot box. So what did Gavin Newsom do? He used the very liberal Ninth Circus, as we call it out here. Right. And, and I've been an attorney for 30 years, and I assure you it is a circus. And then it got appealed all the way up. That's a winning strategy for them. But they're going to lose that avenue uh, if Kavanaugh gets approved because they won't get those many victories that they did in the past. Okay, so one other thing. It takes, what, four justices to decide to hear to hear a, a particular suit, and Kavanaugh would be 
added into that, which would mean that the uh, conservative side can you know get the the, the suits that they want to deal with and not have to deal with the ones they don't want to. Well, I don't know about the second half, but you're right. This increases <laughs> the number of of cases that could well be heard. You now have four very very liberal justices, right? And you have four, if Kavanaugh gets approved, you have four conservative justices likely got to put an asterisk on Kavanaugh until he actually uh, shows up and starts right. voting. And Roberts will be the swing vote. Is he going to be Is he you know, going to be the new Kennedy, do you think, Tom? Mm-hmm. Well, but, well, people talk about on the left, they, you know, he, he's a dragon, right, Roberts? But I remind them that he has gone with the votes on the social issues, gay marriage, and he was the swing vote because his door or his weather vane did a 180 on Obamacare. Do I think he will make, would he, who would vote more to the left? Would it be Kennedy or would it be Roberts? Um, you know, I actually think Roberts will become more liberal because He will be that pivotal vote in some cases, and as we've seen under Obamacare, which is a ridiculous decision. I mean, just for for your listeners, all tax bills must originate in the House to be constitutional. It says it right there in writing. But apparently that doesn't count. (laughs) Roberts wrote a decision calling Obamacare a tax, and then saying, therefore, we'll hold it up, even though it started in the Senate. He should have said, this is a tax, but we can't hold it up because it started in the Senate. He didn't do that. Really unbelievable and and amateurish. And, of course, the four liberal justices, which I call them social justices, because they're out for social justice, not the Constitution, they went along with it. So I think you can make the case that he will become the new Kennedy. Okay. All right, that makes it makes sense to me. Uh, we have heard that a plane here from Little Rock uh, flew off towards Washington D.C. with papers from the Clinton Library. Might those be papers from the Ken Starr investigation that Kavanaugh was part of? <laughs> yes, the, the left is is pulling out all stops. Um, you will, we will probably find out. You know, that he ate fast food too often in his life, <laughs> and that indicates that he uh, doesn't care about X, Y, or Z. You know, they're going to pull out all stops. Uh, I, this, this, this will actually, I think, go pretty calmly as things go. We have a lot of fireworks that are going to happen in September with Robert Mueller, but I don't think this nomination are gonna, is going to really produce a smoking gun this guy's been pretty transparent. Yes, he worked for Ken Starr. Yes, he made comments saying we should do X, Y, or Z. Uh, it's, but I don't really think you, you're a little closer to the Clintons than I was, than I have ever been, and I want to thank you for that. <laughs> I want to, better you than me. I want to ask you do, do you think that the Clintons in the news helps the Democrats politically at any level. Oh, absolutely not. And we're not sure that that the paperwork that left here was under for the Supreme Court nomination or was papers that the FBI sent 
dealing with their, you know... The Little Rock investigation yeah, of the Clinton Foundation the foundation by the FBI. that's going on. So we're not really sure what it's all about. But And you know the FBI won't, won't say anything out loud about any investigation unless it's got Trump attached to it. And yes, that's you're true. Then or the Russians. Then they leak, leak like a sieve. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah, so... I, so I think Kavanaugh is going to be there, and I think Roberts becomes more liberal. The real question is, uh, do do the Republicans pick up Senate seats in the fall yes. midterms? I think they're going to pick up two or three, uh, and and then the then the, the Democrats will be surrounding Ruth Bader Ginsburg with doctors for the rest of her life. <laughs> yeah, they'll have a priest with her. I'm just saying. Yeah, she's. She says she's going to be there forever, and, you know, she may well be because, uh, you know, that's the kind of, you know, let's face it, she's uh, a strong-willed woman, to say the least, and she she does not like Trump at all. She doesn't even like the Constitution. She should have been impeached the day she said, if I was starting a country, I wouldn't use the Constitution as a model. Yes. Really? Then you need to go. Yeah, yeah. I really like the South African Constitution better. Yeah, that was I mean, a, that was amazing to me. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, so that, that's Elizabeth is here. She's got some questions for you. I'm going to turn it over to her. Hi there. So glad you called do in again. My normal. Do I get double my normal pay now? That's it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that works. Um, you know, with with Trump's nominees on the federal judgeship level, and of course there's a huge number of those, we haven't heard a lot about that in the news, and if Judge Kavanaugh does get approved, which we all think will happen, uh, do you think that's going to actually change the techniques that the left has been using? You mentioned it earlier. We all know that they chose to it, – it's so much easier to get their agenda through those few judges at the Supreme Court level than to try to change public opinion. Do you think it's going to change their tactics overall because the judgeships and everything are leaning the other direction, perhaps? I I think it won't change their tactics, but it will change the results. And what I mean by that is, I mean, they're tried and true about this going to court to get things. And they're not going to be able to get them in the legislature. I think they'll still be doing it uh, because what other choices do they have to push the envelope? Mm Mm-hmm. But that, but I think in the long term, the results won't be the same. And then what they'll do, of course, is scream bloody murder about that. Because, as you know, one of the tactics of the left right now is hyperbole, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I mean, everything, everything's the end of the world. Oh, he's, ta- he's not talking to North Korea, the world's going to end. He's talking to North Korea, the world's going to end. Judge Kavanaugh, the world's going to end. We discovered children at the border, the world's going to You know what I mean? <laughs> so... I think it will fit into their hyperbole, but they won't be as successful. Well, and with the built-in echo chamber with the media all following their lead, I think I'm a a person that watches those things pretty closely, and I think that echo chamber will probably help them go the direction you're speaking of instead of possibly changing. But I was looking for hope there that they would change. It uh, is rather irritating that they think that all they have to do is load the Supreme Court and get what they want. Yeah, it's beyond irritating, right? That's not what the court It's beyond irritating. By the way, the media may actually be hurting the Democrats this fall because they are giving loud voice to the socialist wing of the party. Oh, yeah. I hope it does. And and these moderates who are actually winning, 
some of these primaries against the socialists, no one hears what they have to say. So if the choice, and this is my new op-ed that's coming out next week, if the choice is between socialism and higher taxes and the Republicans' offer of continued economic growth, the media may actually be hurting the Democrats this fall. I hope, and and what's her name, Ocasio-Cortez, is yeah. one of the Republicans' best shots what right a now. Frickin', hey, hey, she's a frickin' I, airhead. Why do you, you, we should beg that she's on every you show. Bet. You I bet. I mean, after all, who, who knew that funeral costs would be reduced <laughs> if we did this? <laughs> whole um, new meaning to death panels. Whole new meaning. Switching topics a little bit, um... I think it was the Ninth Circuit that recently surprised us with a little bit of a ruling on the Second the, Amendment. On the Second Amendment, yes. What What are you hearing there in your state about what's the next step on that one? Well, you know, keep in mind, and a lot of people may not know this, the Ninth Circuit's huge. There are many Ninth Circuit Four, 14 judges. Fourteen judges, I believe I read. So... It's, and the way things work is you, you get these cases get assigned to three judge panels. So it's not always the same three making every decision. And the Ninth Circuit has, look, <laughs> the reality is the Supreme Court has spoken pretty clearly mm-hmm. on the issue of whether a, a, a human being has a right to a gun. And so, uh, I, I, I think the Ninth Circuit, and this is one case, one area where they are following press. And I don't really think it goes that, that far in this particular case. But as I write about in my book, The Divided Era, the, the, the gun issue will never go away for the left. It doesn't matter to them that they ban guns in Chicago and they have the worst gun crime. What matters to them is leveraging issues and so this is one they think they can leverage, you know, with high school students and beyond. So they'll never stop. It's a hot button on both sides, let's face it. Yeah, I mean, it, you know. it is. It is. But if you, you know, if you, if you believe in the Constitution, you should support it. If you want, understand gun violence, look, the, New York City reduced the gun violence by going after criminals and reducing their criminal activity. Criminals using and guns? Oh, my gosh. Why would in the right. world they, would they ever do that? <laughs> All right. Tom, I got, I got to let you go. Where can people get your uh, latest op-ed? Well, we, they can go to, well, they can go to Political Vanguard, politicalvanguard.com. I did a bit on, on why socialism keeps creeping up in the news. And then next week we can look at my uh, op-ed about what the Republicans need to do to win this fall. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you, Tom. Thank we'll talk you. to you later again. Tom uh, Del Barquero, who was the former California GOP chairman. Got to wrap it up for the live portion of the show. Coming up, J.R. Davis, the uh, spokesman for the governor's office, will be on with me here on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show as recorded from the second hour. Hey, don't forget about Applied Research. They've got all these studies that are going on that you can be part of and uh, can help with. A couple that I haven't talked about uh, recently, kidney stones. You know, if you experience kidney stones due to a malabsorption uh, disorder, uh, gastrointestinal surgery, or a genetic condition, you may be eligible to participate in a clinical research study on that. Participants have to be 12 years of age or older, and then they have a pediatric IBSD, 
Uh, if your child suffers from irritable bowel syndrome with diarrhea, they may be eligible to participate in a research study evaluating an investigational medicine for that uh, disease. To qualify, participants must be 12 to 17 years old, have stomach pain four days or more per month for at least two months, and have frequent episodes of uh, diarrhea. To get more information on this or to see if you can sign up your child or yourself, 501-954-7822 is the number, 501-954-7822, or go to their website, A-R-C, Arkansas. That's one word, A-R-C, Arkansas.com. But we're out of time, uh, Elizabeth. It's been a good show today. Uh, make sure you buy yourself a copy of that book, Fraud, by uh, Edgars. I'll tell you, you'll be glad that you did, uh, whether you get it at uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever. Uh, get a copy of it and, and read it. And then uh, I'll be back with you tomorrow. Uh, starting at 2 o'clock uh, with the show. We'll talk movies at the first half hour. Going to replay a speech from Sessions starting at 3.35 about religious freedom. You won't want to miss that. And then the Geek Squad is in starting at 3.30 until the end of the show. So a lot to talk about tomorrow on the Dave Ellswick Show. Elizabeth, as usual, did a great job. Shelly did a great me. job. Shelly, thank you for coming in. She's on her way back to take care of school for her daughter, my Joe. Women rock. Yeah, they do. That's why you got more of them on than any other talk <laughs> the show year here of the in woman. the area. All right, we're out of here. Russ, thanks for the job you've done. You did fantastic today. I'll see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 